Hello, this is Chronicle staff writer Ron Kroichik, filling in for beat writer Connor Letourneau on this week's edition of Warriors Off Court. Today I'll be talking to columnist Scott Osler about the Warriors' schedule for the 2019-2020 season. The schedule was released Monday, and Scott and I will analyze some marquee dates and talk about the Warriors' season ahead right after this. Welcome back to this week's episode of Warriors Off Court. I'm Ron Krejcik, joined by legendary Chronicle columnist Scott Osler. Uh, Scott, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's, uh, I'm glad to be here, not that I'm a legend. <laughs> Comparatively so, you're very much a legend. <laughs> right. Um, hey, we're going to talk about the Warriors schedule, which was released Monday by the NBA. Um, among the highlights, 11 back-to-back uh, games on back-to-back days, only 11 times, which is a significant, I think it was 19 five years ago. So the, the NBA is trying to uh, manage that. 30 national TV games, not surprising, yep. given the Warriors' run here. I think they had 28 last year and 31 the year before. Um, and some interesting matchups. Um, let's start with the, the three that I kind of highlighted in the story in, uh, in Tuesday's Chronicle. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on October 24th for the regular season opener at Chase Center, which I believe is the first game in the city of San Francisco, first regular season game since 1971. So do my math, 48 years ago. <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, Rockets with Rus- Russell Westbrook and James Harden on Christmas Day and the first visit, uh, regular season visit from the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on February 8th. Um, those three teams seem to be the kind of marquee opponents in the West, Scott. What do you think about opening with the Clippers and then having the Rockets and Lakers following? I think I might drop by to all those games. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. It's kind of crazy. We got Warriors fever so bad that uh, when was the last time we sat around three months beforehand? Two in months mid, beforehand in mid-August, talked about the right? schedule. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, those are all fantastic games. One of the, like the Rockets games, and, and the Lakers game too, are going to be what I'll call the uh, the revenge tour because there's – some teams, especially those two teams, that have kind of been beaten up over the years by the Warriors, especially the Rockets, you know, the last, what, they've knocked them out of the playoffs right. three times or something like that. And they would just love to get back at the Warriors, not only get back at them, but get back at them on their new home court. So those those teams are going to come in super fired up. So those it, will be big. It's funny how the storylines change, right? I mean, the last <laughs> few years it was the Warriors uh, on top of the mountain, you know, who can possibly knock them off. Yeah. And now it seems like everything going into this year is – how vulnerable the Warriors are, right? Yep. They're down to only two yep. stars yep. With, with Curry and, and Green, although Delangelo Russell obviously gives them a, a sidekick until Clay Thompson comes back. Yeah. And but, remember the first couple of the seasons of this run at home, they were unbeatable. The Warriors were unbeatable. Yeah, right. And that's kind of changed over the last couple of years at Oracle. And now that that's shifted over to Chase, uh, who knows? You know, Are they going right. to— Win any games at home? I don't know. Well, I'm still trying to process when you said, you know, these teams have been beaten up by the Warriors. I still flash back to 10, 15 years ago when, you know, (laughs) the Warriors beat up nobody. And it's just remarkable how this has changed. And this run they've had, you know, I think some fans appreciate it now. But, man, 15, 20 years from now, when you look back on on this five-year period, it's just amazing. And all the the young fans are just listening to stuff like this and saying, oh, shut up. Our team's always (laughs) been great. Come on. No clue at all. Um, That's why we remind them. Exactly. Um, Some other uh, dates on the calendar I wanted to highlight and get your thoughts. Um, There's a a series of Eastern Conference contenders who will visit San Francisco. The Celtics on November 15th, 
the Bucks on January 8th, the Raptors on March 5th, the 76ers on March 7th. Um, I certainly, of those four, I think all are legitimate contenders for the Eastern Conference Championship. To me, the most entertaining from a fan perspective would be the Bucks with, with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, we have to spell that in print uh, and online. But uh, he, he's really a unique player with that kind of length and the way he drives to the basket. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on those Eastern teams and maybe the entertainment value and the unique challenges they present. Yeah, of those four, probably the Raptors, strange enough, would be the least right. entertaining because they've lost their big guy and they're probably not going to be the factor they were before. But uh, to me, like you said, uh, Milwaukee with Giannis, and uh, uh, he's become he's become the must-see guy, I think. You know, I, I still don't think he's as good as Durant. You know, I think he's still got a ways to go to, to get to Kevin Durant. Well, it was pretty Durant's revealing guys. when Kevin Durant was quoted as saying, he, Giannis is the one guy he watches. Yeah. You know, he'll, set, he'll, he'll make a point of watching every right. Bucks game for Giannis. Maybe it's, maybe it's because Giannis resembles Durant in some ways, yeah. but he really doesn't play like Durant. Right. I mean, he goes to the basket a lot differently. Um, he yeah. finishes with his left hand better than almost anybody I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he takes those giant steps, and you assume he's going up for a, some sort of right-handed shot, and then suddenly the ball shows up in his left hand, yeah. and he's, he's dunking on you. Yeah. Uh, but the Celtics— so I will, the, Yeah, the Celtics, too. And I, I'm looking for the 76ers. I think they're going to be a, a huge powerhouse team mm-hmm. with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and the boys, so that's going to be huge. Well, you look at Joel Embiid and some of the numbers he's put up. I mean, it gets a little overshadowed by— um, his teammates and, and the number of players, you know, good players they have. But I mean, he's the rare old school dominant center and low post player yeah. in in a in a in an era when it's all about spacing and shooting and and threes. And yep. he's uh, he, he's a big time center. Yeah, he's so, going to be a top ten uh, MVP c- that candidate going into the season. I would think. MVP, I would think but, top five, really. Yeah, right. Um, and if they, like you said, if they take that next step forward, um, the Celtics on November fifteenth. There's an early season game to kind of uh, circle on the calendar. Um, I mean, they have a lot of intriguing talent. Uh, Jalen Brown, the kid who played at Cal, who's really moving forward. I know he's uh, on the USA, competing for the, a spot on the USA team. Uh, Jason Tatum, and then they added Kemba Walker, um, which might be almost as much production, if not more, than Kyrie Irving, and certainly a lot less drama. Yeah. Um, and they obviously have a great coach in Brad Stevens. Right, he's kind of the East Coast uh, Steve Kerr in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how how close are the Celtics in your mind to competing with the Bucks and the Sixers for the Eastern Conference? Oh, they're, I think they're sitting right there, especially considering the coach and kind of they just have a new revived uh, feel, kind of shaking out some of the the bad stuff and and moved on into a different uh, different phase. So yeah, I think they're uh, well. Those I wouldn't put them in the top two, but. Uh, but seems like it's strong. Seems like it's good for the league too. I know this probably makes me sound like an old guy again, <laughs> but it seems it's kind of good for the league when the Celtics are good. You know, I mean, there's so much tradition and history oh, with the Celtics up. and the Lakers. Well, the Lakers too. <laughs> I mean, the Lakers. I hate been, the yeah, and I don't particularly <laughs> like the Celtics. I mean, I'm not. I'm speaking right. as a fan of the game, but um, just the history of of Havlicek and yeah. you know Bill Russell and all the way through Larry Bird and yeah, a lot of West Coast guy people and fans hate. The Celtics yeah. for all those rivalries with the Lakers, understandably yeah. so. Well, that's the last vestige of my childhood fandom because I was right. a huge Laker fan growing up, growing up in LA. Hated the Celtics. Right. Hated Red Auerbach. And uh, well, you were supposed to. <laughs> and I got to interview him when I was a, a young reporter, and I, and he was a terrible guy, and and uh, reinforced my hate for the 
for the Celtics. So right. something sometimes the works so out the way you hope. I'm right? going to cling to that if you don't mind. Understandable. Okay. Um, I do remember Brad Stevens when he was with Butler. Uh, came to Stanford, I covered a game, and, and he was so impressive in the press conference, much like Kerr, yeah. in that you'd ask him a question, and imagine this, he'd actually look you in the eye, think about the answer, and give you a, a, an on, you know, a candid, sort of thoughtful answer yep. that sometimes went beyond basketball. Yeah. Um, I remember he was talking about taking a run at Stanford and how much he enjoyed the area and, and now realized why we pay so much to live here. <laughs> um, one thing yeah. I want to ask you about, too, yeah. Scott, was the 11 back-to-backs. Um, and it kind of raises, again, the point of the whole NBA schedule in 82 games, which I've contended for many years, as have others. It's just ridiculously too long. Yeah. And it's never going to change, obviously, because there's too much money involved. But I give the NBA some credit that they've, while acknowledging they're never going to cut into their revenue, they have found ways to minimize the stress on players. Yeah. Um, I think it's still too long, and 11 back-to-backs is still too many. But they have found a way to slowly try to guard against some of the fatigue and exhaustion that's led to a lot of injuries. Yeah. If you look at last year, a lot of big-name players. What do you think about what the NBA has done and maybe what, they, what else they can do? Well, I like what they've done. I, I still think there's room to – I know they wouldn't do our, our dream, which would be to cut 10 or 12 games from right. the schedule. Or 20. Maybe, <laughs> right, exactly. Maybe they'll cut three or four. Maybe they'll consider doing that, and that would, that would help somewhat. Well, because you'll, you'll pay for the lost revenue, right? Exactly. <laughs> Well, you know, if, if all these guys lost, let's say, 5% of their revenue, players and owners, they would still be able to afford to eat and stuff like that. They would still... You're talking logically, but yeah. it will never no, happen. No, it will never happen. <laughs> but the fact is there are only 11 back-to-backs. That, that is a warrior benefit. That benefits the Warriors maybe more than any other team because of the extended schedule they've played every year for the last five, right. actually six years. You know, they've gone deep, deep, deep. And, and their core is getting a little older, you know. Steph isn't, isn't 24 anymore, you know. And neither is Clay, and, and neither is Draymond. So it's that is definitely that that is definitely going to help the Warriors. Yeah, no, that's a good point. The Warriors, I think we we calculated, played more than a hundred games, you know, postseason games in the last five years. Yeah. So basically, more than an extra season in this five-year stretch. And um, yeah, Steph will turn thirty-two, I think, during this season. I think Draymond even hits thirty in the spring. Yeah. So it's definitely a factor. A couple other um, dates to note: uh, December twentieth. The Pelicans and Zion Williamson make their first appearance. Only, well, no, actually, they're in the West, so possibly a, a second appearance later. Um, but their first appearance in San Francisco on December 20th. And, and Zion, uh, just another storyline that, that's really captivating given the way he dominated college basketball in his one year at Duke. And really a very distinctive player. You never seen, I've never certainly seen a guy that size <laughs> with that. I mean, yeah. Charles Barkley has been one comparison, but Charles Barkley was 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. This guy's 6'8", yeah. and he just zooms down the court, jumps very, not only very high, but very quickly. Um, what do you think about his game and how it, it might translate to the NBA? Yeah, who would think we'd see somebody who is sort of bigger and more athletic than LeBron at his prime in, in some ways? Maybe. But, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see him. And also the fact he's kind of a mystery. You know, he went to the Las Vegas Summer League, and they think he played a half and he got injured. Right. So out of the rest, so none of us really know what uh, what to expect from this guy. So it'll be very interesting to see him. Yeah, it makes the Pelicans, even after losing Anthony Davis, kind of a fascinating uh, team to follow. Also, he's a very athletic guy, and he the kind of guy that could give the Warriors a hard time. You know. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I, I would think I would think Draymond would probably take a shot at him, but yeah. you know he's 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 stronger probably than Draymond and right. bigger. 
Um, so that would be uh, that'll be something to watch. A couple other uh, notable uh, stretches in the Warriors' schedule. November, December, they have a stretch of nine of eleven games on the road in a twenty-day span, and not like West Coast road games, but right. a lot of East. I think they cover all four time zones. That's going to be a a potential pit uh, pitfall for them. And then the most interesting stretch I thought was in March. Uh, you know, kind of when they could be making a playoff push, either to make the playoffs or to improve their seeding, because I think we can all agree they're probably not going to sail to the number one seed this year as they have in the past. Um, There's a stretch of eight games where they play the Raptors, 76ers, Clippers, and Nets at home, and then the Bucks, Raptors, Pacers, and Pistons on the road. All eight of those teams made the playoffs this past season. So that's going to be a telling stretch as the Warriors try to push for the playoffs and play a lot of the best teams in the league. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about what that will tell us about the Warriors? Yeah, it, it's already telling us something that they're not what they used to be, not what they were last year and the year before in the last basically five years, right. that they're vulnerable and that uh, that every game, you know, it used to be, oh, yeah, this would be a pretty big game. You know, the Cavaliers are coming to town, but you would expect the Warriors to win. Now it's just that that stuff is not, uh, it's not a given. So, that's going to be a huge stretch. Also, the fact that early in the season, you know, they, they're kind of road-heavy. The first uh, right. about three weeks or so, they're a pretty road-heavy team. And I heard some people talking yesterday saying that that would be good because then towards the end of the season, they might be home-heavy <clears throat> and when they're surging for the playoffs. But I'm not sure that's the case. I, you know, for the Warriors this year, everyone is going to be big. They're not going to have any throwaway games. They can just, eh, you know, we'll rest five guys this game. and They need all the wins they can get, so... Early wins, uh, it could be tough being on the road that much. I would argue, from a fan's perspective and, a, and in our role as journalists, it, it it could make the regular season. It should make the regular season a lot more compelling. Oh yeah, because I mean, let's let's face it: the last few years, there's been some drama maybe about whether they'd get the number one seed, yeah. but now there's going to be drama about potentially just whether they make the playoffs. Yeah. And even if they're say they're in the middle of the pack, whether they're a four seed or a five seed. Well, that's a big difference. Yeah. You get that playoff uh, home court advantage in the first round, yeah. you know. And if Clay Thompson comes back in the uh, second half of the year, they could be a very different and very dangerous team right. as a four seed, five seed, six seed. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be uh, a lot of storylines. Hey, I'll one tell last you one thing would be very exciting is when their first home win is. Because let's say they lose one or two or their first three at home or something, then it's going to start building. Oh my God, they moved into this new gym. And they can't win there, and they're you know they're obviously not going to have a powerhouse team out of the gate. So, you know, when are the Warriors going to win their first game at home? Well, that's what the last thing I wanted to ask you about was Chase Center and what kind of effect you expect it to have. Um, we've all seen what happened with the 49ers moving from Candlestick to Levi's, and not nearly the raucous atmosphere. Um, and it, Oracle, obviously, very well known for its raucous atmosphere yeah. and its volume. What do you think about the Chase Center and how it will affect the on-court? action with yeah. the Warriors. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. One thing that there's so many aspects of that, but just briefly, there's something like the acoustics because the Warriors have gone out of their way. They've been aware of this for years, like, oh, my God, we're going to move in. And everyone's saying now the rich people aren't going to cheer like they did at uh, like the poor people, supposedly <laughs> poor people at Oracle. The, the less rich right. people, yeah, Scott. Right. And and so they've gone out of their way to, to make it acoustically more, more of a crazy house. They kind of put a lower ceiling in and so forth. So That'll be interesting, and the whole the whole dynamics, the, uh, how the players react. Uh, I think the players, I think the Warriors are going to have some pride in their new arena, and so they're going to kind of come up busting, and that'll be a, a factor because they want to, they don't want to do what the 49ers did at Levi's, right? And uh, so, 
I, I think it's uh, that's going to be a, a huge ongoing storyline is how right how the Warriors are going to do in Chase. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of subplots and storylines to follow. Well, Scott, thanks very much for joining us uh, on Warriors Off Court. Uh, appreciate your time. All right, Ron. And uh, again, this has been Ron Krejcik filling in for our beat writer Connor Letourneau, taking his uh, annual sabbatical. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Thanks to Alan Johnson for producing. And we'll see you next time on Warriors Off Court. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.